Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network, where we take a closer look each week at the wide, weird, and wonderful world of running. I'm your host, Jonathan Ellsworth. I'm also the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Off the Couch is presented by CBG Trails. The CBG Trails app is the only complete trail map app of Crested Butte and the Gunnison Valley, Colorado. So download the app today and start exploring. While most of us know the names of the explorers, Lewis and Clark, the exploits of John Coulter, who was a member of Lewis and Clark's famous expedition, might be a bit less familiar, but Coulter's exploits are arguably even crazier. And in their short film called Coulter, A Legacy of Adventure, Sawyer Thomas and Reese Wilbrecht document Sawyer's attempt to venture through the territory of the greater Yellowstone area that John Coulter had explored two centuries ago across some of the most rugged terrain in the lower 48 states. So in this episode, Maddie Hart and I talked to Sawyer and Reese about who John Coulter was and why they chose this particular adventure. We talk about the serious difficulty of running, skiing, and trekking through this vast terrain. We discuss the logistics of trying to shoot a film like this and more. And since you should also definitely check out this film, you can find links to both the trailer of the film and the entire 28-minute long film in the show notes to this episode. And with that, let's talk to these two modern-day adventurers about their project to retrace and recreate one of the wildest expeditions of the Mountain West. Here we go. Well, I am here in Blister HQ with Maddie, and today we are talking with Sawyer and Reese. So we're going to start with Sawyer. Sawyer, how are you today, and where are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. Um, I'm currently in Seattle, where I've been living for the last few months. Why are you in Seattle? So I'm actually in grad school right now. I just started up in September. I'm studying mechanical engineering. Uh-huh. Reese, how are you doing today and where are you? I'm good today and I'm in Bozeman, Montana, going to school here at Montana State and working and skiing and living life. Okay. And now Bozeman is home now for you, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. But there's a backstory here. You guys have known Maddie for a while and you guys all met where? We all met in Montana uh, at Montana State University. Maddie and I met racing up Rendezvous Mountain in Jackson, which is like a seven-mile race over 4,000 vertical feet up. And yeah, she came down and she kind of kicked ass, (laughs) crushed a bunch of folks. I didn't crush a bunch of folks, and I totally forgot that that was the first time we had met. You forgot. <laughs> you just you kick people's ass and then are so so much of an ass kicker. Then you don't even remember afterward. No, because they creamed me, and I was like just trying to keep up with Reese and Sawyer, and I did not. Hmm. So oh, this is some reverse. This is some reverse humble bragging. We're all trying to give each other compliments. <laughs> oh, so nice. No, I'll fully blame you guys for g- making me get into running. So I'll point fingers. Huh. 
they got you into running? Yeah. Sawyer did the Bridger Ridge line with me, and that was like my first like long run. Oh, yeah. That was really great, actually. Wow. Yeah. Remember we saw that mountain goat? It was just a fantastic day. Yeah. There was a, a section of time there where uh, every single time I ran the ridge, people were really hurting. And I remember I've actually seen both of you shed tears on that run now that I think of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've cried on the bridge ridge. <laughs> well, Sawyer, in my defense, you kept getting us lost. So I was I was sad. We were lost, quote unquote. It's it's hard to get lost up there. It's just one big ridge. <laughs> That's true. We just kept taking goat trails. Yeah, there's a lot of scree for sure. And, you know, you end up side hilling across scree for a while. And uh, yeah, it goes downhill. Yeah, we did it, though. And here I am still running. You're probably running way harder than we are these days. So I mean, maybe we yeah. all need to meet at the rendezvous run and have a rematch. Yeah, I'm game. Oh. <laughs> I, I'd love to do that race again. Reese, how do you feel about that? I'm fine with that. I could do that. Might take a little <laughs> convincing, but I'm I'm okay with that. <laughs> Just to talk a little bit more about your backgrounds, and then we're going to move into this really interesting project that you guys uh, have been working on. Sawyer, tell us where you grew up and when did you meet Reese? So Reese and I both grew up in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and. Um, I mean, we knew each other probably since, you know, elementary school, kindergarten. Uh, and then, I mean, we really became good friends in high school and college. We both went to MSU and uh, both ran cross country, both uh, on the Nordic team. Reese was definitely much more of a Nordic skier than I was. And then also uh, pre-ride skiing. I mean, we've been skiing together for a bunch of years now, like really been doing a lot of projects together these last few years and i mean we have been skiing almost everywhere uh together at some point in the last six years or so so skiers and runners maddie actually said something interesting to me uh she was like i don't know if if Sawyer and Reese would even call themselves runners. Like, you guys, don't take that offensively. Like, you guys run a bunch, but, like, I feel like... No, I mean, it's not our main sport. It's not what I... I don't necessarily train for running. I think that Sawyer and I were both pretty lucky to have grown up doing the high school sports that we did to the point where we built a base now that running, you know, over 15 miles isn't isn't devastating to us it's like it's pretty doable at any moment so we got really lucky with that yeah i mean for myself i'm definitely a much better uphill walker than i am a runner <laughs> I, i'm i would get destroyed yeah. by pretty much any real runner on a real run yeah don't um, don't put me on the flat ground <laughs> i'm a, <laughs> i do i do a little better on the ups yeah i spend enough time kind of like exploring in the mountains that i can at least, you know, run a little bit. <laughs> well, and I would argue that you both can run pretty dang well. So we know a little bit about your background, but let's kind of dive into this film you guys just made. Um, give us like the, the brief synopsis of what this mission was and kind of what it shaped out to look like. So I really 
was looking for an adventure. And uh, there were a lot of things that kind of aligned to make this project actually happen and come together. Um, but I've, I've really liked history and I, I find stories amazing. And I got in my head that I wanted to take some sort of historical route and do my own twist on it. Um, so that kind of put us looking in the right direction. And we came across this story of the mountain man, John Coulter. And John Coulter was part of the Lewis and Clark expedition. He uh, was part of that group that went and explored the West. And then when everyone else was heading back out East, he decided to stay behind. Um, and he is credited as the kind of the first European to explore the area that both Reese and I grew up in, uh, Jackson Hole, as well as Yellowstone and the whole surrounding region. And so, I mean, that alone, that made it really interesting to us because, I mean, this is a little bit of history that we kind of grew up with our entire lives. And then when I kind of dug into it a little bit deeper, it turns out Coulter went and did this in the middle of winter, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. Uh, he left in October and then spent a bunch of months uh, just kind of wandering through the mountains by himself, scouting for the uh, for a company. So Sawyer, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about John Coulter. I know in the film you mentioned that this is a character and a figure that you and Reese, you know, you guys knew who this was, but I think for many of the rest of us, we've certainly heard of Lewis and Clark and the Lewis and Clark expedition, but talk a little bit about Coulter's relation to Lewis and Clark. So John Coulter is, he's a character in the history of Jackson Hole, but I can imagine that really nobody else would know who he is. Um, but most people, it seems like, have heard of the Lewis and Clark expedition. And he was a specific um, member of the Lewis and Clark expedition. He was originally, uh, I think, from Virginia and joined the Lewis and Clark expedition at a, a pretty young age. And was really he was valued as a, a marksman, a hunter, and his whole persona was described of as uh, this quiet, reserved guy. He was just kind of someone who seemed, you know, trustworthy and uh, reliable. But he was much. He was he was very much so a uh, solitary type of guy, and so I think he he kind of fit in well with the whole lifestyle um, in the West, and I, I think that is in part what really drew him into the mountains. And so uh, as Lewis and Clark was going, as the whole party was going back out east, uh, John Coulter, he ran into two other fur trappers um, and ended up getting pulled back into a whole series of famous adventures. For people who do know John Coulter, I think the, the most common one that people hear about is uh, this run-in that he had with the Blackfeet Indians, uh, where he was captured and 
stripped of his clothes and he was made to run for his life. And I think a lot of people who hear about Coulter, that's kind of what they picture. But that was not the only story about um, the only story that John Coulter had. And uh, for me, really, his most interesting adventure was this trip that he did by himself scouting into Yellow, the whole greater Yellowstone area. The route that we were following was originally uh, done as a job for the Missouri Fur Company. And Coulter was kind of, he was tasked with going in, creating trading relations with uh, natives in the area. And he went and, for some reason, decided to go in October. <laughs> for some reason. For some reason. And I mean, we'll probably never know exactly why he left at that time of year. There's a good chance he was just going to find a, a village to settle in for with, for the winter. He ended up doing this huge route through some of really the most incredible mountains that I think exist in the lower 48. He's kind of become this, uh, this figure of, I guess, maybe legend is the way to say it because there really isn't that much like hard first-hand information it's really mostly hearsay and speculation so i'm sure a lot of the stories have kind of been built up over uh over the years but yeah he's kind of framed as this uh mountain man explorer who went and wandered through some pretty big mountains (laughs) altogether. Do you feel like there was like a sort of intrinsic draw that you had towards John Coulter and what he did that like inspired you to do this mission or like do you feel like you relate with him on I don't know the solitary expeditions I guess? To tell the truth I really uh, it's not that I particularly have any I mean I find some of the things that John Coulter might have done admirable but like it's not so much that you know, I think highly of him as a person. I mean, he wasn't, you know, inherently like a good guy, I don't think. I mean, I have no idea. He People were just kind of shitty back then. <laughs> like, they did a lot of bad stuff. But uh, what really drew me to this story was more the, the route. And that area that he uh, happened to explore is what I find really to be incredible. Um, so, I mean, in our film, we, we tried, we did talk about Coulter a little bit, but we really tried to focus on that area because, I mean, regardless of who this guy was, I mean, nobody really knows about him, but some, some thing that we'll never really understand drew him into those mountains. And I mean, we, we also still have that same thing drawing us into the mountains and yeah, it it is something that is kind of hard to describe. So. Yeah, maybe that is something we have in common. But, I mean, yeah, as, as a person, it's not like I necessarily look up to John Coulter. Uh, it's more, I, I think, you know, as humans, we're kind of all pulled to uh, want to explore these cool places. Well, that is some really interesting background and context. And so let's actually now talk a bit more about some of the logistics of this route and the like. So once I got a hold of that idea, 
how we actually went about it was kind of our own our own twist on the story. So we went and throughout the entire winter last year, and then also uh, over a spring break the year before, we skied at all these locations along the route. And then uh, last spring, I went back and did the full loop from near uh, Billings, Montana, down to Cody through Jackson Hole, back up through Yellowstone Park, back to Cody, and then uh, up to Billings uh, over the course of about a month uh, just running. And how many miles was that? Uh, the It ended up being close to 500 miles of running and about um, 300 miles of biking. Okay, okay. I thought you meant you ran 500 miles in a month, and I was like, oh my, okay. But that feels reasonable. It's still a ton. Yeah. And, like, what was the route when you were running it? Was a lot of it on the road, or were you doing bushwhacking? Was it actually established trails? It was primarily through mountains. And we specifically picked a route that would really have interesting terrain. Um, I mean, we were, were trying to recreate John Coulter's route, but he never kept a journal, and it's really not uh, well-established. So that gave us a little bit of the ability to budget to go where we wanted. Um, and so we pretty much picked the general route, but also found what we thought would be really interesting. And we did it in May, which the places that we think are interesting in May also ended up being about the hardest possible places that you can travel in May. I'd say about 50% of it was uh, kind of that in-between, not quite snowy enough to ski and not quite uh, dry enough that you should actually be running on it. So I, I'd say most of it was kind of like post-holing and slopping through the mud um, and yeah, climbing over mountains and swimming through creeks, that sort of thing. Reese, I would love to hear you weigh in on Sawyer's use of the term interesting when he's talking about interesting terrain. Um, do you care to elaborate? Uh, in, in short, interesting is difficult. That's what it seemed like. <laughs> um, it is, yeah, it's... So interesting terrain was a lot of post-holing in snow. It was a lot of finding our way through rivers and creeks during peak runoff season, kind of losing the trail, bumping into private land boundaries, kind of trying to circumnavigate the the national forest and the wilderness areas is it's tough because there's no real definitive line and there's a lot of the trails that are marked on you know Gaia and fat map and all of these these social uh, maps they you know sometimes the trail is marked but it's not really there it's covered up in grass or it's covered up in water or snow or <laughs> just rock and or avalanche debris and you just it's 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 not going out on a run in your on your community trails. It's not going out for a road run. It's it's kind of a mix of wilderness trekking and then trying to do it at a reasonable pace um, and trying to knock out larger mileage uh, every day. 
I think that that's, that's probably got to be the most challenging part of it is the fact that it's not, it's not straightforward. It's not mapped out and it's over terrain that just sucks to go through. Sometimes <laughs> like you really can burn yourself out on a scree field or trying to log hop across an avalanche path, or, you know, you gotta like go and deal with water. That's just above the freezing point when it's raining or snowing sideways. It, it all, all of these factors can pretty easily wear you out. It just takes a, a, a really tough person to go and do that. Someone willing to suffer and someone willing to just put their head down and grind it out, no matter how physically painful it is or mentally painful it is or endurance-based pain. It's, it's just kind of dealing with the elements as they come at you and just saying, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to do it and not complain because the second that you start complaining is when it all goes downhill i don't know i heard reese doing a lot of complaining it was yeah <laughs> busted i'm different though i talk down at myself <sighs> to motivate me <laughs> i'm a self uh, deprecating uh motivated individual sawyer did you feel like there was any complaining or like how are you dealing with it mentally I mean, there were frustrating parts, and there were other parts that uh, were easier, for sure. I, I have run with lots of people who are much better and more experienced runners than me in the past, and uh, one of the guys Mike uh, was talking to was saying that when you're doing a run like that, you just, it's going to be painful. And I, I thought that was really good advice because it, it's impossible not to end up really kind of pushing yourself when you're doing days like that every single day. So I, I never felt like I would push myself too far above the limit, but I mean, I, I was kind of okay with accepting a certain level of pain. Running is just, you know, your body hurts after a while. <laughs> There's no getting around it, but uh, it's, it's worth it anyways. You guys have mentioned that there was a skiing element to this exploration. There was a running element to this adventure and a bike element. So why don't you talk for a minute about the skiing part of this project? Sawyer and I have been filming skiing for as long as I can remember. I, I was making small edits in middle school and Sawyer was making small edits in middle school and elementary school. And we used to make extreme Nordic edits. So the intuition behind having a camera in the field while it's snowing sideways and you're out there in the snow and kind of in the field, it, that whole part of the project came very easily for us. That wasn't a very difficult part to the project. The difficult part was trying to find the right conditions to go and ski everything in and then finding the skiing that was along the route that we could find permits for and that we could, that we felt was going to represent that particular region well. So every day you kind of wake up early and you go out and you have all of your gear ready to go the night before and you try and go out and accomplish as much as you possibly can in a single day. And when 
when you're running, you just kind of film as you go. But when you're skiing, you're looking for these very specific shots and these very aesthetic moments that only last anywhere from, you know, five seconds to sometimes 30 seconds. So it's a really small amount of, of footage that you end up keeping at the end of the day and that you will probably use in the film. So that's, that's the biggest challenge is figuring out how to pick your places and your timing and the way that you want to film it for skiing. That's the most difficult part. And then also making sure that everyone's being safe in the backcountry, making sure that everyone's comfortable with the decisions that are being made. Everyone is aware of what's going on in the snowpack. Um, so kind of a combination of safety and then kind of, uh, line choice. Those, those are the, those are the tough parts of filming skiing. Sawyer, any of your thoughts on the skiing slash filming portion of this? The skiing ends up, um, really taking a long time. I mean, especially with the sort of skiing that we were trying to do where we'd, you know, go out someplace we'd never been before and try to, you know, just make it happen and magically work out. I mean, it really, uh, that ended up being way more work, maybe not more work than the run, but I mean, they were pretty comparable as far as, uh, the actual time and effort that went into it. Because I mean, to get one, one five second ski clip, you kind of have to have all these different variables lining up. So going out there and, you know, one, uh, having the visibility and the conditions to, to film. I mean, there's only a handful of times when you have good avalanche danger, good visibility, uh, and good snow. So it, it's, it's hard to get those to line up. And then also, you know, you have to, after walking all the way out there, you have to be then feeling good enough to, you know, make it happen. Um, then there's the actual skiing. Then there's the actual skiing. Yeah. So it, it's, it is really its own skill. And for, uh, for us, I mean, we've been doing that sort of thing forever. Um, I mean, all through high school, all through college, uh, we have been working on that side of, side of things. So uh, it's not necessarily something that's new to us, but as soon as you start going into that new terrain and uh, really having to figure things out on the fly, then it ends up being a lot of work. And the running was, uh, that was more of the story aspect of things. But I mean, the skiing, we definitely, you know, ended up with every bit as uh, interesting of, of stories throughout the entire winter. I mean, yeah, when I, when I'd say that I worked on the Colter project for two years, it was one month of running. Um, and then it was the other nine months of winter, the two well, past two winters, that was the skiing. So, I mean, even though a lot of the film is running, I mean, the skiing was a, a big part of it. I mean, they, they go kind of hand in hand. We are doing a lot of walking for our skiing. And then my running ended up being a lot of just walking up through the snow. So all this stuff is like misnamed, right? We call, we call it ultra running, but it's like 
ultra lots of walking with some running and we call yeah. it like ski touring but it should just be called like walking on skis or you know if you get real fired up jogging on skis so uh yeah it's all it's all human powered i guess slow movement slow movement in the mountains is what it's all slow about movement. that's what it should all be called Sl- moving slowly in the mountains i'm kind of wondering i guess too like sorry you mentioned the story aspect of everything but like if you had to pinpoint both of you but pinpoint one moment or story quote unquote that was like the most memorable or just really was like a key element of the expedition what would both of you claim is like the best story you had um i mean probably our first couple days going through uh the absorcas that really stood out had i mean the first day of the run we you you kind of see it in the film uh we highlight that for sure but kind of behind the scenes is a lot of talking and a lot of looking at a creek, uh, looking at a creek crossing and being like, no, let's go up another 200 meters or, Oh, let's go down another 200 meters and see if it's there or where we could fit in, or let's go around this bend. And, you know, we ended up getting lost for 10 miles right off the bat on the wrong side of the river. And then we tried, probably six or seven river crossings and all all of those failed went all the way back down to where we had started the day found our way across there kept going up and like it's 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 springtime and the the grizzlies are starting to come out in yellowstone and particularly in this area in this wilderness region they are they're everywhere in there they're it's just these massive canyons where there's no humans and people don't go in there until the late summer, early fall for hunting. And so, you know, no one's been in the canyon for a really long time. The bears are waking up. Wolf packs are moving through. You, you're you watching the clouds roll in and out of the mountains. And you're realizing how um, extreme the weather is there and how volatile it can and how fast it can change, how volatile it is. And we just... We knew how to camp, we knew how to run, um, but adding in the extra part of screaming, hey bear, every 10 steps kind of puts you on nerve and it makes you very uneasy when you're sleeping and you're making food and you're coming around another corner. It's not like you're coming around another corner just to go suffer. You're, You're kind of, you're very wary of what's ahead of you and what the canyon or what the mountain is going to throw at you next. And the first two days we just got in, we just got the full taste of that. We, we had bears and wolves and big post hole sections, pretty wild fluctuating weather throughout it all from bits of sun to rain to snow um, and wind and, getting lost a couple separate times. It just, that was a really, really fun experience the first two days. And then the one memory that really sticks out in my mind was we were coming up out of this, this big marsh, this big wetland, this high Alpine wetland, and we're starting to bump into some snow and it's midday just about. And 
we're kind of having trouble staying on the trail. The post holing is really bad. The, the snow is hollow underneath the surface. So we're just going in all the way and we're following these bear tracks that are on and off of the trail. And we get up to a junction between these two canyons where we're not, we kind of stopped and took a small break and we wandered off into the snow and we're using a, we're using a GPS and we're trying to find the trail underneath the snow. And we, are following the trail for what we think is kind of verbatim. We're like, okay, we're right on top of it and we keep losing it. Uh, but every time that we are kind of near the trail, we find these bear tracks and turns out this bear most likely could smell the horses and the humans that have been on the trail. And I'm sure that just through years of hibernating back in that region and living there and migrating through there, um, it's kind of figured out the avenues through these passes and it just followed the trail exactly where we were going and had left these really nice uh footprints in the snow for us bears walk two at a time so they 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 yeah, the, their foot their first paw print is where their second paw is going to go so it's just kind of like following a boot pack it worked out really well for us um <laughs> we got really lucky to find that bear and the, and that the bear had gone through that, that exact divide that we needed to go through probably a day, a half a day to a day before us. It, we just got lucky that, that one, one bear was on a mission and it happened to be the same mission that we were on. So we got really lucky with that. That's when we just kept on seeing the tracks as we went out and kept on screaming hey bear because it just all of those woods just it looks like there could be a bear anywhere in there and there's no humans out there and you show up we showed up from cody to dubois and dubois is just a desolate uh or at least the canyon that we showed up in dunoir canyon um is just the end of the road and we like you're just out in the middle of nowhere and you don't know where any animals are and how close help is and you are just kind of looking at a gps trying to find your way and hoping that it all works out so that was my that was my that was the longest day that we had or that i had on the trip and that probably the most interesting things happened and the most variables hit us all at once so yeah those first couple days of the route i think it was um pretty close to 50 50 mile stretch altogether over those two days and over that entire time i don't think we went more than five minutes without seeing a grizzly bear print so they must have just been uh we were just low enough in the valley so that they were coming down uh avoiding the snow and they were just everywhere so, yeah, we were really on edge that entire stretch. I don't know if Reese mentioned this, but that very first day right off the bat, we got we were on the wrong side of the river, and it took us most of the day just to figure out how to cross the river. And so, you, I mean, by that point, we were really far behind. Ended up only making it about half of what we wanted to that first day, and then ended up having... What ended up being like a, a 35 mile day the following day and so that that second day of the adventure um we really you know learned what we were in for 
by about two o'clock, that's when that's when we actually hit the snow, and we still had probably what fifteen miles or so left to go. We ended up coming to a, a pass, and we had GPSs, but the trail was covered up with snow, and that was really the only way through that section. And that's where we find found those bear tracks. So really, I mean, being able to find those bear tracks, kind of, I mean, we probably would have ended up spending another night out there, something like, it, it would have been a lot harder. So we got really, really lucky, followed those bear tracks for probably six hours or something. Yeah, we spent a lot of time on the tracks. Yeah, it was our, yeah, spirit bear. <laughs> guy hitting his back <laughs> yeah that was a fun little section and then there were a lot of fun ski days there was a day that we went out and it was negative 25 degrees when we woke up in cook city and our snowmobile wouldn't start so that we could go out to the area that we wanted to film we just kind of we had a slow start to the morning we spent a lot of time uh, trying to get going, and then we got out there, and it was a really epic, beautiful day of skiing in this small pillow zone. And then we got back to the back to town, back to the hotel, and Sawyer had frostbite all of his toes, <laughs> and we had another night to spend in the van, and the heater wasn't working in the van. <laughs> So we just kept waking up to negative 20 degree days, kind of in the van without a heater. And Sawyer had gotten frostbite. And there's just a lot of a lot of factors to consider out there. It's really fun, but it's it can be painful for all parts of your body. I'm I guess I'm now afraid to ask about the running portions of this, but but maybe I will talk to me about the running stuff. The days that I was actually able to run on a trail, a dry trail, they felt pretty luxurious, I have to say. Especially in the middle, um, kind of once I felt like I was getting into the groove of things, but before, you know, the real fatigue of the entire thing was uh, beating me up. Uh, there were some really, really fun running days in there. I definitely started getting into a groove where wake up, eat a good breakfast, I mean, we, I, I ended up covering maybe uh, like 20, 20 miles a day or so. They were tiring cumulatively, but for every day, I wasn't exactly uh, running from sun up to sun down. Um, so there were definitely a lot of days where it just like, it felt really good. Did you have like a favorite zone or favorite location or area? There were some really great sections. I did one section with my dad. It wasn't as much running there, actually. Um, it was crossing over snow, and, and my dad, he joined for a few sections, and he isn't exactly a runner, so it was mostly hiking. Just going out and cruising over the Tetons was really beautiful. And especially what was incredible is, I mean, going in May, nobody is out there at all. So up uh, for the first, I don't know, 25 days or something, I really didn't see anyone on the trails ever, like not a single person. It, it was pretty incredible just to be able to be out there with, you know, a couple friends just cruising. 
Yeah, it is really hard to pick a favorite section because really that entire route was uh, really incredible. What what really changed it was the sections where I'd get sun and where I'd get rain. <laughs> it was all beautiful. Just uh, the majority of it was soaking wet. We had like a like two weeks of straight rain right as I started. So um, it wasn't until I made it to uh, like Drake's Idaho uh, two weeks in that we even saw the sun. <laughs> it was it was pretty shocking. Yeah. yeah. That sounds like less fun. <laughs> we were camping in Dubois, Wyoming right after that first section and we had spent a few days there to let a snowstorm roll through and we camped in the back of the of the truck for a few of those days and one of those nights I think we just kind of put a, a tarp over the back of the truck and we went and we got a six-pack at the drive-in uh, or the drive-through liquor store <laughs> and we just kind of sat in the back and froze in I don't know how cold and <laughs> I I was going to do one more run with Sawyer before I had to go back to Bozeman for work. And I just remember looking at the weather and being like, it is going to rain for the next two weeks, like uh, one more week. And I am just so glad that I am out of here after this one next day. <laughs> it, it, the, the forecast just looked like hell for Sawyer. And it turned out to be pretty wet, <laughs> a lot of rain. Sawyer, what was kind of like your longest push? And like, had you really ran super long, like training runs before this in your life? So up until uh, this this run, I think the longest I'd ever done in a day um, was close to like 50, 55 miles. And the last day of this run I kind of wanted to um one be done with it and then two kind of push myself so I ended up uh finishing it up with uh is like turned out to be right around 63 miles and that pretty much crippled me for about a month was most of that on trail or was it like on the road it kind of looked like it was on more road from the movie yeah that was mostly on the road and um, I, that was a big part of why I wanted to, you know, get it all done with in one go is because I was really sick of doing any more road running. Um, and I'm really glad I, I did pull it off. But, I mean, I think that's probably about the hardest day I've ever had. Um, it makes me really respect people who are actual, uh, actual ultra runners. <laughs> Well, just so you know, 100K on the road is terrible, and most people wouldn't choose to do that, so good for you. If Just for the record, I say this a lot, I guess, on this podcast, but if I did 63 miles on the road, I would definitely call myself an actual runner. So just for the... I guess that's the <laughs> difference between me and you. But uh, yeah, to me, I'd be like, well, that counts. I'm going to just drop the mic now. I'm a runner forever because I did that. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I did it out of necessity. Some it seems like some people actually enjoy it. I don't know. I've I've never done a race like that, but I don't know. <laughs> it was hard. 
it was hard enough to make me feel like uh, I could have trained for it better, which is fitting for the whole off the couch thing. <laughs> it is. It is fitting. I mean, have you subsequently had any thoughts about? I mean, would you sign up for a marathon or a trail marathon or trail ultra? Um. Yeah. I mean, I I have raced for a long time, and I I like uh, racing for sure. I'd like to keep doing it. And more of what I'm into these days is the whole mountain running yeah. uh, kind of backcountry scene. I've raced as uh, Rondo, Rondo, Schemo um, for a while. So that's that's more the direction I'd like to go with it. Yeah, I, I like running races. I love the community. You guys should come out here and do the Grand Traverse. Ah. I am doing the Grand Traverse, actually. Doing that with my what? sister. This year? <laughs> Are you too, Reese? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'll be there. All right. Um, you guys are doing the Grand Traverse, so we'll see you out here end of March. Very excited. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to know, like, the biggest things you guys took away from this year you spent out in the wilderness filming and exploring, like, what were your big life, quote-unquote, takeaways? That is a difficult question, but... I think the most valuable thing that I gained from it all was uh, real appreciation for the area. It also kind of gave me a sense of urgency. We're in a time when our wild places are have a really uncertain future. I I think it kind of made me. I mean, I've, I've always kind of felt the the duty to be a, a steward of wild places, but um, after spending the last uh i mean bunch of months uh around yellowstone and the whole greater yellowstone area it really really drove home how special having that available is i think for me what really seemed important was the fact that we are able to do this and we're able to you know, look at our history and uh, see that people were exploring 200 years ago and now we still have the capability to go back and, you know, create these really incredible adventures. So I, I guess, you know, for me, that that was the most uh, important part of the entire process. For sure. How about you, Reese? The stuff that I learned from kind of the 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 communication side of things and the production side of things is to always plan way ahead. Always have your funds ready to go and have everything laid out and mapped out. And granted, we were out filming a documentary, so whatever happens kind of happens. But to have all of your base resources covered... Uh, before you embark on something is extremely important and that's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned from this project is just how to prepare to go and film something like that and to tell that story and like what Sawyer said we just got to see all of the terrain that's been out of our back doors for years and we finally got to go walk through it and see what's going on out there and what John Coulter was looking for and what people that have ad adventured into those mountains before us were looking for. Um, 
we found our own purpose out there. I'm sure that each individual that goes out there finds their finds their own lessons and learns from them and learns a new life tip. But we just, you know, we're young and we're we just we consider ourselves really lucky to have the opportunity to go explore in mountains like that. And now that we've had that opportunity, we're excited to explore more. And I'm I'm just fired up to keep going back. I'm I'm excited to go on more runs and to do more big ski tours into those mountains. And yeah, it, I just learned how much inspiration you can get from the mountains. Like you spent all this time in one area and think you know it pretty well and then uh that was something i really learned is you know the farther you walk back there the more there is that you don't know about so it was really cool to just see how much how much there was out there that i've never explored and i still haven't explored then i'd also second reese um i definitely learned a lot about being prepared (laughs) well guys uh maddie and i really appreciate you taking this time and telling us about this film and your experiences making it and uh pretty fun just learning a bit more about your two relationship and uh buddies since kindergarten i guess that's pretty good now we're excited to have more people see this film where is your preferred place to point them to find it and watch it Yep, there's a link on coulterfilm.com to for the full film and a little bit about it and then some photos and yeah, just kind of a a summary of what of what happened on there. So, mm-hmm. well, excellent. Um, well, listen, thank you so much, and uh, I'm excited that it sounds like in little over a month we will have a chance to meet up and link up in person here in CB. You know, if you don't bail out or uh, wuss out on the Grand Traverse. I don't think they will. It sounds like they're way tougher than that. (laughs) Thanks for having us on, guys. Thanks for chatting about the story. Well, thanks again, guys. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Sawyer and Reese for the conversation. And again, you can find links to their film, Coulter, A Legacy of Adventure, in the show notes to this episode. I also want to say thanks to Jared Farley for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd encourage you to subscribe to Off the Couch, tell your friends about the show, and leave us a nice rating in iTunes. Until next time, keep moving forward, and we will talk to you again next week.